All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Sticks? What the fuck, Stirs? What the fuck, Adelphians? That just came in. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome. Welcome to the show. How are you? We have three shows this week. We're going to have three shows this week. We're packing them in. Today, Claire Danes is in the garage. Claire Danes is a fan of the show, wanted to do the show, had no idea, came out of nowhere, and I'm thinking, Claire Danes? Hell yes, I want to talk to Claire Danes. She seems to hold a fairly prominent position in my unconscious and conscious somewhere along the line. I I remember when Claire Danes was everywhere, and I'm like, who is that woman, that Claire Danes person? She seems intense, and then you'd see her in movies. You're like, holy shit, she's a great actress. Then all of a sudden, she went back to college, and I'm like, what is that about? That seems like a good idea. I was thrilled that she wanted to do the show. So uh, she's here. And by the way... Thank you for watching my uh, season two of Marin. I appreciate it. I'm glad you liked it. I was very happy with the finale. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody if you haven't seen it. With uh, It's got Eddie Pepitone and um, Dave Anthony and Andy Kindler. And I don't want to tell you, the uh, Ted Lang is in it. Peter Berman, the comic. It's interesting, the story about Peter Berman. Peter Berman is a comedian. He uh, owns a pet store right up the street from me. I was told by another comic, and I support his business. It's called Rock, Dog, and Cats right up there on Colorado. So that backstory is relatively true. He's a very sweet guy. I I don't think he's as bitter as the character he played, but it's sort of funny how art imitates life, if you're going to call my show art. But I wanted to make sure that you knew that we shot in his pet store. That's an interesting backstory. There are more backstories. Perhaps I'll do more of those. And we're still waiting on a pickup. Uh, So I'll let you know when that happens. I was away for four days. I spent some time in San Francisco doing fun things. I, I did an experiment in having an uh, in having a good time and enjoying myself. I spent some time with a person uh, who lives in another state, and we got together and we hung out for like four or five days, and we had a great time. We saw movies, we ate good food, we did tourist things, we did all the things you do in San Francisco, and had a lovely time. And now the vacation is over, and I'm full of heartache and and anxiety. I just tend to make life more difficult for myself, and I don't think I have a great way of looking at everything. And I think at some point I got to take action. Because I'm getting tired of myself. Well, I've been reading this book. It's a great companion, I might add, to another book that God knows some of you have heard me talk about, um, Ad Infinitum, The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And then my um, my psychologist, who I see erratically, uh, started dropping this uh, the title of this book, The Fantasy Bond, Structure of Psychological Defenses. What it's about, I used to do this line saying that, you know, the, anyone's personality is just a very elaborate defense mechanism. Uh, it's just a reaction to the first no or the first detachment. And I'm, I'm happy to find that as I read this book by this Robert W. Firestone, which was written in uh, 1987, is that I'm not that far off. I know some of you tough love motherfuckers are like, you know, shut up, quit whining, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But some of us are more pensive. Some of us are more thoughtful. Some of us are more compulsive about the inner work. The fact that I don't have a significant other in my life or dependents or anything else. You know, my problems are my children. And there's some part of me that wants to understand deeply or, or at least get some context for the emotional experience I'm having as a grown ass man who is relatively incapacitated emotionally, clearly. And the fantasy bond is about if you have emotionally detached parents or emotionally needy parents or parents that were incapable of providing you the space 
to sort of develop your into your own person with the support that's required of parents what you do is you sublimate that or shove that shit down and then create this fantasy idea of, of how good your parents are. So that's the fantasy bond is that the emotional content of what parents are supposed to be may be absent, but because they're your parents and because of all the input you're getting from the world, you know, you got to love your parents and they're good parents. So all that stuff, all that doubt and all their neediness and all their 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 sort of emotional drainage and molestation, emotional molestation boundarylessness is just sublimated and and that becomes your inner life that becomes your uh your emotional life that is unruly and uh, certainly self-flagellating self-critical insecure not complete but on the outside you're holding on to this idea that these people are you know your parents and that goes on for a while but his whole i think his angle is is that you bring this fantasy bond into the rest of your life for the rest of your life if you're emotionally structured that way and obviously everybody has a an idealism that goes into relationship but but it, it really goes into this whole idea of a, you know what is what is the difference between love and need and these are ideas i've had in my fucking stand up for 20 years and being the self-centered person i am to a certain degree i'm flattered that i was thinking along the lines that you know this guy thought were relatively important enough to to build a whole book around and it's it's shedding some light but the one thing that saddens me is that i read this stuff and it's sort of like hey yeah this is it this is it i got it now what the one thing i can say about the tough love crowd the think positive crowd the pull yourself up by your bootstraps crowd is that uh yeah that might be at the end of the day the only real option you have in some form or another you know the 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 idea that you're going to get back down to the core of it all and rewire it you know after 50 years or 40 years or 20 years even of life is is probably a long shot so you have to act against your instincts and you know uh, kind of hyper assess uh, you know, every sort of interaction that seems volatile or, or destructive or disingenuous and live your life like that. Hypervigilant. I'm not saying frightened, but hypervigilant. And that's exhausting. I went into City Lights Bookstore. Now, some of you know, uh, I did my time at the front of uh, political talk for the lefties back in the day when the uh, Bush regime was in place. And my brain was in that. That was a good way to, to sort of, uh, you know, kind of funnel my anger, you know, to redirect it from me onto the world. So I bought a book. I'm going through City Lights. And this always happens at City Lights. There's a sort of importance to it. City Lights is where Allen Ginsberg first read out loud how sitting there in the early 60s, changing the world, creating a poetry that had never been heard. The Beatniks came through there. Ferlinghetti owned it. It's got a history to it. It's weighty. It's amazing. It's a place you're supposed to go in and go, it's all here, man. It all happened here. It's a place where I go in and I look at the books that they're publishing and there's always a book there that's sort of like, yeah, I got to get back on track. I got to reconnect with the, with the real issues of the world. So I see this book just sitting there, just the right size. It's called The Violence of Organized Forgetting. And the subtitle is Thinking Beyond America's Disimagination Machine. And I'm like, holy fuck, those are some words that you don't usually see together. And the poetry of it is resonating with me. It's got to be a portal into all the issues. It's got to be a portal into a frame of mind that dissects and understands the culture we're living in as it spirals down the drain because of classism and complete 
narcissistic modes of existence. So I'm like, holy shit, man. I'm going to get this book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to rejigger my brain and understand it all. Yeah. So I'm doing that. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm a relatively civic-minded person, but I don't know if I can go to the front lines to guarantee that democracy stays alive and functions for everyone. I have a certain amount of faith, but I think that faith may be a tremendous rationalization. Not unlike a lot of faith, probably. We got to talk about the patent troll situation for a minute. There's some news. There's some news about the patent troll, and it affects all of us. If you've been listening to the show for a little while, you know the threat we've been under from the patent troll. All right? Not just WTF, but all podcasters. A lot of us got these shakedown letters that said, claimed we were infringing on a license. They said that we owed them a fee. They would not be clear on what the fee was. I would not engage with them because I, th- I thought there was a problem. If you're not going to tell us what the fee is and you're not a legit upfront business, if you're just looking to extort money. So they terrorized a lot of podcasters and they actually sued the How It Works podcast and Adam Carolla. Now, as part of an effort to beat this troll and protect what we do for a living, Adam Carolla came on this show and we asked you to donate to his legal defense fund. And he did. And his listeners did. And listeners of other shows did to the tune of more than $450,000 because just as a little guy, which Adam is, despite what anyone may think, you know, in terms of the business world, in terms of podcasting, Adam's in the fight. He's, he's been sued and he's fighting. And apparently that scared the troll shitless. And now they're panicking. And a panicking troll can be dangerous as well. Okay? So hear me out. And maybe we can beat this thing once and for all. Last week, you may have seen some news articles about the troll. Personal audio. That's because the troll suddenly sent out a press release. Out of nowhere. Now, as with most things having to do with this troll, a lot of what they're saying is total bullshit. But let me read you some of what they said. And I'm quoting here from their press release. Quote, Personal Audio, the pioneers in personalized media solutions, this month offered to dismiss Adam Carolla from its highly publicized patent infringement lawsuit, unquote. Now, hold on right there. What it doesn't say is that they want to have the lawsuit dismissed without prejudice, without prejudice. That just means that they stop what they're doing right now, but they can refile the lawsuit at any time in the future. They're not actually dropping the lawsuit. That's bullshit. And why are they not dropping the suit entirely? Okay, let's read on. Quote, when personal audio first began its litigation, it was under the impression that Corolla, as well as certain other podcasters, were making significant money from infringing personal audio's patents. After the parties completed discovery, however, it became clear this was not the case, unquote. Okay. So in other words, they tried to shake us all down and we all called their bluff. And now that they realize they're not going to get any money out of any of us and that we're going to fight back, they're acting like it was all a big misunderstanding. But, and here's the important part, the but, they're still not dropping the suit. Why? If they say podcasters aren't worth it, why don't they just drop the suit entirely? Simple. They're giving themselves the option to refile it again at any time. All right. Now, here's this is now look at how they frame Corolla. All right. Now, now they go on to complain about the money that was raised for the legal defense fund. Quote, Adam Carolla is asking people to donate money to him for a lawsuit that he no longer needs to defend. Getting his fan base to continue to donate to his legal fund is a cynical exploitation of the publicity power he enjoys as an entertainer, unquote. So if that's how they feel, then just drop the whole fucking lawsuit. 
If they're so concerned about the fundraising, why not just drop the lawsuit entirely? Then all the fundraising will stop because they don't want to drop the suit. They want to be able to bring it back at a later date. Unless the suit is completely dropped, they will always have the option of coming back and doing this all over again whenever they want. Hey, uh, maybe podcasters are doing better. Let's try and shake those little fuckers down for some money. Here's my point, folks. These guys are clearly on the ropes and they're on the ropes because podcasters and podcast listeners stood up for themselves and refused to be bullied. I know that I wasn't going to let these guys shake me down. There was no fucking way. We need to make this so difficult for them that they have no choice but to drop the case entirely. Now, listen, we've already asked for a lot from you. You've written letters, you've signed petitions, and you've donated your hard-earned money, so we're not going to ask you to do any of that again, all right? What we will ask you to do is shop. Whenever you need to shop online, use the Shop on Amazon banner that's on the homepage of WTFPod.com. There's a banner on Adam's site as well. In fact, go click the banner now and just bookmark the link. Anytime you shop on Amazon using that link, a portion of your purchase will go toward the defense fund, which means we keep showing the troll that we'll fight this thing until they go away for good. It doesn't cost you any extra money. It's just regular Amazon shopping. It's an easy way to keep this thing going strong. These guys are gangsters. This is their business. Shaking down the little guy. It is not right. It's not morally right. It's not judicially right. It's not right. They're working a loophole. And this is their business. And they fucked with the wrong little guys. If they want to go fuck with other people because now they're turning their focus onto TV networks. They're just hoping for a payout. Oh, let's just pay these guys out so they don't bother us. And that's how these guys stay in business. Fuck them. So I'm just trying to encourage you to keep, you know, keep aware of this, that this is ongoing. I know a lot of it's, you know, gone off the front burner. And a lot of podcasters are like, oh, is that still a thing? Yeah, it's still a fucking thing. And in the future, it could be a worse thing until we shut this fucker down. So help out if you can. I appreciate it. All right. So there you go. I did it. I talked about something that matters. Now let's talk to Claire Danes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Claire Danes is in my garage. Yeah. I, I can't believe it. I'm a little beside myself. I'm here. so giddy. I really I'm total <laughs> I'm I am giddy. <laughs> you are I really am. I, I don't uh I am too a little bit. We're gonna have to work through it together. Okay. Why am I giddy? I don't know. It's a contact high. I it think. is. Yeah. Like, because you're, you're one of those people. I don't know. Some people, I'm like, I, I feel familiarity. Yeah. I feel like I... Well, same here, but in a, in a, in my imagination, because I hear you. I you know actually, me, though, if you I, listen. Yeah, I know you. I mean, in a way, in one... Yeah. I don't... I don't... Like, well, I don't have... I don't know you. I know the stuff you do. It's all amazing. I was watching... Like, it's I, not all amazing. It was pretty amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I've been watching. Uh, I, I've been watching Homeland. I got into it. Okay. Because I don't watch anything. But right. then, like, yeah, I heard that you wanted to come on the show, and I'm like, well, I know this is an amazing show, so now I got to watch all of it. Yeah. So I've watched it. So I, I'm very familiar now with how insane. Yeah. You can be. I yes. As a character. As a character. <laughs> yes. Is it not in real life? Um. I wouldn't characterize myself as insane. No, but I mean that. Well, oh, you mean the character or you? Well, the character is dis- yes, formally, yeah. clinically, right, bananas. Um, but no, I, I think I'm, I myself 
have worked very hard to achieve some kind of uh, balance and uh, uh-huh. structure and order. And uh-huh. I don't think I'm. But it did require work. Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of work. But the, I, uh, the work that I most enjoy doing, um, I for a long time I thought I was going to be like a therapist. Um, so, so this is ideal because I get to merge my two. Uh, passions um, Be, being a, a being an actress is ideal. Yeah, I mean, I, I I always wanted to be an actress for reasons that were totally inexplicable, but but because totally you're a kid. true. Because I was I, well, but not every kid wants to be an actor. No. But then somebody told me when I was around, I don't know, nine, nine, that most actors don't typically make that much money. So I reevaluated, and I was going to be nine. at nine, and I was going to be <laughs> a therapist yeah. and and do acting workshops on the side. I was going to live next door to my best friend, and we yeah. were going to have one pool with two slides in our respective yards that would go into, you know, and yeah. I had it all worked, worked out. out. At nine. Yeah. And this was the plan for a solid year. And then um, one day I made, I actually made a formal announcement at the dinner table, and I said, you know, to my parents and brother, yeah, money or no money, I was gonna, I was gonna have to be true to my art, and I was going to be true to your art, an actor, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then kind of uh, was, but 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 so this was always Plan B was being a therapist, but it just so happened that I now have a career in um, uh, in exploring what it is to be crazy well, within the context of acting right a a, a supportive context yeah uh, a, a low uh, a low risk context. a very very low risk context um, but you're yes. very good at it thank you thank yeah it's you. very compelling yes and turns out that my best friend the same one who i was going to live next door to yeah is in fact a therapist no yeah was that even her plan no she stole your idea she's st- yeah she's a she's a thief and now are you still friends yeah, besties. Really? Mm-hmm. From age nine? From age nine. All right, well, let's go, let's go back because, like, I I had a question. Like, I remember when you, you sort of went to college. I remember. Culturally, I sort of went to college. It's I remember. True. Well, I remember culturally. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was like you know Claire Danes is going to college, right? And I was very impressed with that. I'm like, good for her. Thanks. Who knows if this acting thing is going to pan out? Yeah. But before that, where do you come from? Do you come from a perfect land? Uh. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, no, I do not come from a perfect land. I come from Crosby Street. I uh-huh. grew up in... Oh, right in Manhattan? In Soho, yeah. Really? Yeah, my parents uh, were artists and... Both of them? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. you and Lena Dunham. Yeah, well, we grew up in the same neighborhood, um, but I'm a little older. older. But you're not old at all. I'm pretty old. I'm 35. You, 35 is nothing. Well, do you, I Have mean, you looked at your resume? You're 35. I'm 35. I thought, like, I feel like I, I've been seeing you for my entire life. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been doing it since I was 12, so, Was yeah. it 12? 12 was when I got an agent. Was but 12 this so-called life? 13, I did the pilot of my so-called life. And then it didn't get picked up, and uh, and then it did, a half, half a year later. So what kind of artists? Um, they met at Rhode Island School of Design. My Fancy. My mom. Were they groovy? Yeah, cutting edge. They're great. They're they're totally idiosyncratic yeah. people. Um, but uh, my mom was a textile designer for ten years. My dad was a photographer, and then um, uh, they had two kids and decided to, you know, no more art. Ha- well, no, well, their trajectory is interesting. So my mom ran a uh, a toddler school in our loft. 
um, six kids in the morning, one or two year olds, and six one or two year olds in the afternoon. She just figured she had kids. Why not bring some more kids in? Um, no, she was always interested in art and uh, and early childhood yeah. development and education. And um, she was an art teacher for a while and yeah. um, out of school. And um, so she always had that that interest. And she was the one, the eldest of five kids. And so she was when she was five. Um, her mom, my grandmother, then had four other kids in very quick succession, like a year apart. So she kind of became her assistant by default. Five kids? Yeah. Is it a Catholic thing or just no, a thing? No, it wasn't a Catholic thing. Just um, wanted to have them? They're Protestant. Um, yeah, they were just into it. So you have like all these aunts? I have uncles. two aunts on from that side and uh, uh, yes, and two uncles. That's a lot. A lot of cousins. Yeah, I mean, you'd think I'd have more, but um, I, um, maybe maybe the the experience of being one of five was enough to curtail yeah, some of their desires <laughs> to have children. Maybe so. My well, anyway, my mom did that. Actually, Lena. Yeah. When I I'm friends with Lena. When I first met her some time ago, she um she said that her mom was to uh uh. Uh, she, she, her mom wanted my mom to know that she was still upset that Lena had not been accepted into the school because she oh had. Oh my god! It, yeah, is that so, true? It's true. There wasn't room, but it was not personal, and the, it, you know, it was just a space thing. It, uh, it was a space. thing. It was not some sort of I mean, weird envy, sort of like they're still <laughs> artists. We we I, gave it up. Oh gosh, I don't. I I don't think so. No, we're familiar with those Dunhams. I don't think so. Yeah, they um, think they're the best artists on the block. Yeah, yeah. So um, what? No, so you so you didn't grow up around the the school thing. That was not happening. No, well, I was I was four. I was uh, too old at that point. No, I don't think I would have gone anyway. Conflict of interest. But I grew up kind of looking after these kids myself because they were in my space and they were there before <laughs> I left for school and were there well after. Well, that's I what I mean. You were so in I know the house. a lot of nursery rhymes. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And and your dad was a photographer and he just stopped doing that? Well, then he was a contractor for the, uh, for the majority of my years, my time with him. You know, when I, when I was a kid, he did that for 20 years. And like a building contractor, mm-hmm. he built buildings, residential buildings for the most part. He had a, it was called overall construction. He's uh-huh. a he likes the puns. Uh-huh. So, um, and then I started acting, and it just that it, it, it collected momentum, and then it was like a career with you know suddenly. And when my so-called life got picked up, we were all shipped out to L.A. My brother was in college at this point. Yeah, um, he was at uh, Oberlin. So. So we moved to LA, and we were all so kind of fascinated. Um, well, everybody, my parents and I moved for your career, for the show, yeah. And um, we moved out. I think two days after that massive earthquake was it of ninety four? Yeah, ninety four, ninety five. I remember. So that. we yeah. we were we experienced all of those aftershocks, but welcome, it was very strange. Yeah, because everybody was. Uh, just so spooked and so unnerved and you know (laughs) and we couldn't really identify but we were experiencing these aftershocks which were kind of strange kind of just felt like the subway subway was rumbling below us exciting it was exciting but it was also too too accurate a metaphor for what we were experiencing you know just personally as as our family just being a big shift but my parents moved out here were kind of didn't know what to do with themselves it was um my mom, my mom was ready to end her school, and my dad's business actually 
had gone bankrupt like that year. So it was just this really natural. So they were like, thank God the kid's pulling some money in. No, no, no. But it was was a time of transition, (laughs) very coincidentally. Right. And, um, um, but they, my mom ultimately went back to grad school here in LA. She went to a place called Otis. And my dad started taking photographs. uh, more consistently and now they live in Santa Monica and they have two studios in the backyard and they make their art you really know? yeah and they ha- they show together and it's like this a wonderful a kind of adorable but that sounds patronizing I don't mean it to, did, it's, it's great did they give up the place in New York they actually own the loft building with yeah. another couple they bought it in the early 70s for like two dollars so now it's like worth millions of dollars it's yeah it's their very it's their you know, retirement plan. It's great. Who lives there? They um, rent it out? They rent it out, yeah. All right, so so you're 12. I'm 12. Like, how did uh, Well, I started taking- My so-called life Well, happen. I started, I danced as a kid. Um, do you still dance? I, um, I kind of, he, I haven't done it for a while. I, I, I danced as a very, very little kid. I took one class with this woman called Ellen Robbins, who was great. Yeah. And, um, uh, choreographers from these kind of black box theaters in the Lower East Side yeah. would come, come to her class looking for a, a young talent. You know, they're, occasionally they would need a kid in, in for, for their, their weird shows. For their weird shows, <laughs> and yeah. I was always like the yeah. hammiest and often the most kind of uh-huh. conspicuous and me, me, me. Uh-huh. And so I got picked a lot, and so I had some experience, you know, in, in weird the, shows in the theater. Uh-huh. But like, what kind of weird shows? Oh my god. Like, were you a punchline? Like, here's the kid? Oh, I, I actually, I looked at a video of one of these things that I did when I was maybe seven. Yeah. And I never knew what what the plot was, because no. I don't think there often was a plot. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> they didn't know. Um, but no, I mean, I, look, I looked at it again, I don't know how, I mean, as a grown-up, I guess, and I realized that there was this whole, like incest theme and and I, you know but I, it was completely lost on me but they were, you know, they were so, banking on that yeah so the there's kid's a couple not know. and then the guy the father the guy is mm-hmm. like writhing on me and i'm like oh that's what that was like, no yeah. clue yeah. um but and there'd be like maybe 15 people it's in an audience on a good night it's a sexual abuse dance yeah uh. but no my first my per- first performance was i don't know maybe i was six at this place called ps122 and i was a duck I've been there and i quacked ah. and there were people on stilts walking around me a bearded lady you know it was that bearded kind of lady thing. stilts and you were a duck yeah but i actually st- i danced again in um i when PS i was like 24 yeah. maybe because yeah. i um my best friend who's now a the therapist, therapist yeah. but her mom is a choreographer she's actually the reason i started acting really yeah. um, her mom yeah, kind of. Her yeah. mom is a choreographer, and when Ariel, my bestie, um, had done a student film. I don't know how that happened, but that same director was looking for another kid yeah. for his next student film, which was kind of like an elevated student film because he was under the tutelage of Milos Forman, and so his best students were then doing this. Mil- and Milos Foreman was running a, a school of some Yeah, I kind? guess maybe it was, it was involved, it was, it was... Uh, part of a college, Part maybe? of Columbia University, oh, okay. so okay. maybe he was, yeah, affiliated with Columbia University. But I remember my first audition was with Milos Foreman for this wow. dinky little, like, student film that I got from my best friend's mom. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... What was that role? 
I played a, a girl, an abused girl. Yeah, also an incest theme. So I'm, I'm was that was my what, milieu now, back did, then. So do you remember how they asked you to play something like? I mean, you were what, twelve, eleven? I was 11. eleven. I was eleven. Um, because you must have exuded the the same type of emotional rawness that you seem to be very good at. Yeah. At that age, and yeah. they were like, "That kid looks like she's in trouble." Yeah, I guess my parents, <laughs> um, my parents were concerned. Um, they were. Uh, yeah, and they asked me, you know, if I was up for it, up to, you know, I was capable of, of taking that on. You've and, been through a lot. Do you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, did it you, was, and, and, I, and I said, you know, I, get, I guess my answer was like, well, I, I know what's my imagination and what isn't, and I know the difference between the You're real 11? and the unreal. Did they, did they ask you, like, are you comfortable yeah, I think they did. I think it was, and um, and I was. I was so I loved the experience so much. And you were so like, much. "There's no nudity. I think it's okay." Yeah, there was no nudity. That's of true. Not. But years, years later, in my twenties, yeah. Ariel was still. She was dancing and in studying to be a therapist, and right. ultimately she had to choose one or the other. But she was still dancing at this point, and I saw her perform and something, and I just was so kind of envious, you know, filled with this desire to do that myself. And um, and she admitted that, you know, she happened to mention that to her mom, Tamar. And so Tamar then called me and suggested that we start kind of working together, dancing just for, for fun, yeah. for the sake of it. And then we did that um, over the course of a year. And it's, it developed into a solo, an hour-long solo show, which I then performed at PS122, which was really, really great actually to it return just, to the yeah the the duck the duck the duck debacle to, yes to return <laughs> to the duck <laughs> to where that happened mm -hmm. that's a great space so ps 20 it is yeah it's like i i don't talk to that many people who grow up in manhattan it's like such a, a rare thing and it's such an amazingly unique childhood like you don't uh you don't have to like the rules are completely different it seems i guess so i mean you, we were definitely i mean I, I, when i was a kid you had to legally prove that you were an artist who live in soho it was it was is law. That true yeah i kind of like that and i mean people lied but that yeah well what was going on in the house like because uh, i know i talked to lane about it and then that's in recent memory but i don't know that many people that grew up in new york yeah and this is like what the 70s yeah, well, so, in the eighties. I grew up in seventy. I was born in seventy nine. Well, was it was were you were your parents open minded people? Yes, and so you kind of had that that whole world available to you. Yeah. I, um, did they were they uh, did they were they sort? Of, I imagine they were encouraging, but um, yeah. But nobody in my family had any interest in the performing arts, I and mean, that was completely uh, nobody was prepared for that. What's um, your brother do? My brother's a lawyer. Huh. Yeah, he's six and a half years older. He's in New York. He just got married about a month ago. He's a regular lawyer. He's a, yep. Got he's a in, life. He's in litigation, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, so you do the thing. You do the uh, the abused I do the abused thing. Yeah. I, I I had taken classes. I took my, the first thing I did was take classes when I was 10. With at who? Lee Strasberg. You went to Strasburg? I went to Strasburg. They had a kid's? Uh, yeah, but most of the kids there, it was like either that or tennis on a Saturday. And So it wasn't you know, like you weren't sitting around doing Meisner with other 10 Well, we were, but I was, t I was taking it so seriously, you know, very earnestly trying to feel that wind. And that you were? Was not, nobody else Is was. Is there a video of that? Oh, God. God, um, uh, I never did feel it though. But, um, but you're it was very fun. serious. Oh my God, that must have been oh hilarious. Oh my God, was I serious? So I took I took classes at Lee Strasberg. Yeah. Was he there? No, uh, no, he's not. Was no, he alive? no, no, no. That was no. 
Um, he wasn't teaching the the 10-year-olds anyway. Um, (laughs) And then I went to a junior high school for, uh, it was called Professional Performing Arts uh, School. The fame school? Well, it was a derivative of, it was actually, I went in its first year of existence and and had a great time. And actually there, I met other kids who were professional actors and I kind of figured out what an agent was. Well, Alicia Keys went to my school, yeah. but I'm. Uh, who else went to my school? Who like? <laughs> no, any. No Gabby more. Hoffman, who's still a best friend of mine, went there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people did, but there was also PCS. That was private. My my school was public. Right. But that was great because I, again, I got to kind of figure out what how one went about getting a real career, like what a, how to get a headshot. And, and you were at thirteen. Yeah, this no, I was eleven. I was eleven, 11. And, and that and you're learning that. I was learning that, and I was do. I did like a cluster of student films. Yeah, and um, my dad had been a photographer, so in our loft we had a dark room that he rented out. So a woman who was using it then took my headshots, and we sent them out to agents, you know. Um, and uh, somebody actually called back, and then I had this footage. I had this these movies, yeah. this movie in particular to the to one show. That, where you were the abused kid. I was the abused kid. It was called Dreams of Love. Do you still have a copy of it? I do. And uh, how do you? How do you? How's it like? What's it like looking at that now? Well, I mean, it is a student film in every way, and but there is something kind of. I mean. Can you see? Yourself? I have improved since then. But can you see yourself in it? Can oh you, like, yeah, isn't yeah. it weird to watch stuff like from that long ago? And you're like, I'm me. I'm still me. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a kid. <laughs> you have like, a kid. What? Yes, I have a 16 month old. Really? Baby. Mm-hmm. Cyrus. A, a boy. A boy. A boy. What's that? What? I, I don't have one of those. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Is it great? It's so great. It's. I mean, people assail you with advice when you know when you're pregnant. Yeah. And, um, like what? Oh God! I mean, I've, don't eat this. Don't eat that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, I, there's no, there's some of it's helpful. Some of it is the opposite of that. Um, but somebody said, you know, it's harder and than you can be prepared for, and more beautiful than you can be prepared for. It's, it's, and that's turning out to be true for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very it's very uh involving uh-huh it's very consuming uh-huh. and so it does reorient you where's the kid now he's at the sunset towers oh your husband's here uh watching? my husband is working uh no he's he's being uh babysat right now what's your husband do He's an actor. His name is Hugh Dancy. How come? I, why uh, he's don't an I know English that? Actor. He's an English actor. He's an Englishman. And now an I want to look at him. What's he been in? Um, he, right now he's on a show called Hannibal. He just wrapped oh, yeah, the yeah, second yeah. season. It's Was he a regular the, on that? Yeah. He's like the guy who's hunting Hannibal down. Um, so you're married to an actor. I'm married to an actor. And you're an actor. And I'm an actor. That what, happened. What is We that? met on a movie called yeah. Evening. Um, but... Um, I don't know. He's not a very actorly actor. There are some actors who reek of actor. But is it like uh, we're both doing well right now? Yeah, we're both doing well. And actually, we've it's we're so uh, lucky at the moment because it's it, we're in a good uh, it's a good system. I um, we basically work in tandem. So Homeland films from June to November, and his show films from August to. April. Did you so do that like contractually? A, Did you demand no, that? No, I mean, we. I, it was out? mostly serendipity, but we we kind of 
were conscious of how this might be a good thing. And you well, know. well, there's big like there's a big gap we have to fill here. So now you're going to this performing arts high school, you, junior you, high, junior high. You've been taught that it's a cutthroat business that you have to be aware of and you have to have headshots and you got to get an agent. Yeah. They're laying this all on you. So yeah. it's really a professional school like that. It's not a dream school. It's like we're we're teaching you guys how to be yeah. professional. Yeah, really. So you get your headshot and then I you send your head- little movie out. Send my little, send my headshot. I have the movie to, you know, to show to uh, uh, agents. agents who actually responded. Who, how, how'd you decide the agents? Were your parents involved in the, your yeah, career at yeah, that point? Yeah, but we were all so so naive and right kind of, no idea what was happening was yeah, coming what was we going to happen we were just figuring it out as we went along um a woman called karen friedman from writers and artists signed me and she was great yeah and i started going auditions and and like working yeah so of course you know first gigs um uh my first gig was a pilot called Dudley with uh-huh. Dudley Moore that we shot at Silver Cup Studios in Astoria. Oh, I, I live right there. It was here. like a yeah. real sitcom. How was working with Dudley at a, at twelve or well, thirteen? I didn't really have a sense of who he was, but I, he was very charming. Yeah, probably very drunk. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, he wore lifts. He played a little guy. He had a grand piano in his dressing room. It was like exactly how you would imagine Dudley Moore to be. So it's like the Arthur character. Yeah. So he was out coming off the success of that movie, I imagine. Y- yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, yeah. I, this was when I, I, I always was very concerned with like playing the truth, you know. Um, At 13. Yeah. Always, always, always. Why, well, who were your heroes? What, what was your precedent for that? What was your romantic idea of what acting was? Meryl. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I'd, I'd, actually, I remember seeing Accidental Tourist yeah. when I was like, I don't know. When did that come out? I was little. That was Julie. Ju- who was in that? Ju- Nine? Ju- Julie. Ju- Will, William Hurt and, and um, Ju- Judy, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Hurt was so fucking intense. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to watch that again. I don't re- really remember anything about the movie, but I remember kind of being. It was a, it was a pretty heavy movie, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that really affected me when right. I was a kid. Right. And I saw Sophie's Choice when I was nine. Oh, my God. And I just thought, wow. That's right. Crazy. Okay. So, like, they can be this. Um and, and I then, didn't even like art cartoons as a little girl. I remember getting into a fight with one of my. You were intense. I was intense. I just didn't. It didn't appeal to me. I was much more interested in like live action. Yeah. Um. And I remember getting, you know, uh, schooling. Yeah. My friend Aria, who yeah. really loved Disney movies, and I was like, they're based on Grimm's fairy tales, yeah. and they're totally abstracted. <laughs> you know, abstracted, whitewashed. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I didn't use these words, right. but they, it was basically that that they didn't attitude. Even really show the darkness that was in. And those I loved fairy Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. Like I, lo- I mean, I yeah. loved Bluebeard, and I yeah. love. You know, uh, Shelley Duvall had this like fairy tale theaters or she hosted this series of fairy tale theater and they were m- much kind of darker racier um so even that was always my sensibility but when i did dudley mm-hmm. i didn't when i was little i didn't really understand that there was that there were different genres and different styles of acting right, sure so i was giving this incredibly earnest performance and, a method performance yes yeah um and uh it was not appropriate not appropriate <laughs> but uh what did, the, did anyone guide you say like hey kid lighten up oh god lighten no, up a little. no they didn't and i don't they should have but um i think it never got to that point because it was a non-starter so oh boy um but that was my first gig and then I had, a, you know, a guest spot on Law and Order. I played a teenage murderer as 
people, I mean, that's like every New Yorker's first job. Yeah. Um, and then kind of my, I did a couple of TV movies of the week. Yeah. And then I got- but you were working. Was I was happening. working consistently, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I actually kind of made a chunk of change. So I sent myself to private school, which I hadn't been, you know, so I went to Dalton, which was, you know, really- For high school? Uh, for high school and then halfway through my freshman year after my so-called life had initially not got picked got picked up yeah it then did get picked up and so i was um and that's where you could really like your emotional capacity and your desire to do something heavy was you could do it you could, could act the way it. you wanted to wanted to act i could do it but also at that point i'd been through junior high school i had had some difficulty um socially and uh so i was full of Full of resentment and um, yeah. and and rage. Really, what was uh, what was difficult for? Well, Claire girls Danks? are not fun. So what, from did, what did you 10 do? Ten to thirteen. Did you kick some ass? Did you? What happened? I had had every time I had difficulty. There was like one girl who just kept being reincarnated, and my mom's strategy for like response to my my struggle was to just put me in a new environment. But that was that was counterproductive because I'd be like the new girl. Um, and that rendered me vulnerable by definition. And right. so the new, so boys have a crush on the new girl because they're new, and then yeah. girls hate the girl that boys have a crush on. So who, what was this girl? This recurring character? Well, I won't name names. But are you still mad? Yeah, you are. And actually, Morena, who is was on Homeland, sadly, not really. I don't think there'll be much opportunity for her to work on this next season because. Oh, spoiler alert but whatever yeah. she plays Brody's wife right. in the first well she yeah, plays Brody's great. wife yeah. we went to junior high school together we went to the lab school totally coincidentally really? not a performing arts junior high school yeah. and we uh, realized when we met again as grown ups that we had both been persecuted by this same girl and we spent many many hours just still working it out really just, even now yeah what, they, she was a bully or what she, yeah she was a bully and what did she do oh she was just generally undermining but you know would like throw shit at you and call you names and stuff. but the worst thing that that girls do is um galvanize uh, everybody in the school to um hate to you. hate you that's awful they recruit and you were the hated one i was the hated one not all the time. I had a very erratic career in school. Sometimes I was doing very well and other times really not so what, well. What do you think made you the hated one? Why were you um, prone to that? Uh, because... You wearing your heart on your sleeve? You, yeah, the, a little bit. The and intense girl? Yeah, like I just really liked learning in school. I really did. I really did. And so my friend Arielle, whom I've known since I was nine, she, yeah. we went to school together. Yeah. We went to junior high to go out there. And she had a whole system. She she would only allow herself to answer three questions per class. Um, Socially or? No, like, and, in, oh. in, you know, she just never made it obvious. Like, she never Didn't try too hard. admitted to right. her engagement so or enthusiasm. or you so know. You, but you I was in, like, ooh, 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 girl. You're the I know girl. Oh, I was I know. so so involved I, I i just didn't um I mean, it's making me sad i didn't like just that you're all wide open and like i want to i want to be right yeah I, and, and yeah and it was really really not a good idea to be i mean it was really painful to have that experience and when i was going to that jun junior high school of performing arts because we had you're like bully food acting That's class that they attacked on to the end of school uh, you know class so it would be two yeah. hours of standing there doing exercises and just people saying <laughs> 
horrible oh, thing. And you're really working it, so you're like open and want to be emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was oh. just, it was just, it was, it was bad. So by the time I got to, you know, to yeah. the uh, my so-called life, I was, I was ready to, to uh, let him have it. But I, did you have you Facebooked the bully? Have you done any? No. But come on, be honest. Have you? No, I haven't. I don't do Facebook. I do Instagram, but well, I don't whatever. Do but have yeah, you done I, any no, research I, in trying to figure oh, out who what happened? Just just for the satisfaction. Be honest. Um, you know, I you don't do. know. No, I haven't really. Okay. I haven't. Um, so you've let it go. I let it go. Uh-huh. I guess yeah. it wasn't even them specifically. It was them for a little while, but no, it was just the general system. The whole social structure I found very frustrating and it was really good for me to go to college finally because I realized that because kids kind of remained at that point developmentally in my imagination because I didn't go through high school where right. people kind of gradually right. become where you see everybody sort more of uh, humane <laughs> whatever yeah, um, but yeah. yeah so by the time we, uh, high, in college I was yeah. like oh yeah people kind of get they they're they get better sometimes yeah yeah, I mean, I, I was so. also at Yale where people were the nerds. Ooh, 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 so yeah. oh, I was yeah. in yeah. the right company. <laughs> That's what Yale's filled with. Like, I know, I know, me. The ooh, ooh, ooh's. The yeah. ooh, ooh's. Good. Is that the first time you've put it that way? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and in England, they're called SWATs. Oh, right. I don't really know why. But... All right, so but all the success. So you do uh, My So-Called Life, and it's like a cultural phenomenon. I was a little old for it, but I, I definitely remember watching it and seeing it. But like my buddy who I work with, he's he's like, you know, that that was like the most important show for any of us. So it was huge. So it now was big, you're, it, but it wasn't. It got canceled in its first season. There were only nineteen episodes out of twenty two. Um, but then it got picked up by MTV and then other uh, cable. That's shows, all that was networks. made. Only nineteen. Only nineteen episodes. But Wild. it was. It just kind of had, had this amazing afterlife. Yeah. So now, it, do you like? Have you found? Like, I would imagine that it's the type of show where there was gratitude coming at you from teenagers. I guess so. But I was still in high school, you know. So you I, but, it, even... but in such a weird way. Yeah. In L.A., no high schools were really interested in taking kid actors because there are so many of them right, here. And right. they know how disruptive they are. <laughs> so there was only one school, Elise Francais, that would um, be willing to, to take me and my very difficult schedule on. Um, and it was kind of a weird place, but I barely went. I was kind of tutored from that point on. Um, so you're like a you're you're freakish in that you don't have this. You, you're performing, you're acting out this high school experience, and yeah. you don't have any of it. And I don't have any of it. No. Um, but I mean, I had a semester at Dalton. Yeah. And I had, you know, I could riff. But yeah. How did you have a like a social life? How did you have a love life in high school when you were this mm, isolated? I didn't. No. I didn't. No. I didn't. I had a boyfriend when I was, I guess, 15 through a friend. I don't know. It was lovely. But um, no, that's why it was really good for me to go to college. But but what was that decision? You made some money. You were doing good. You did before you went to college what you made a movie or two, too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I remember being surprised. Like there was like this moment. and And I kind I don't know why I remember it. But in my mind, you had everything going on and everything was going the way it was Well, I'd always to go. wanted to go to college. And at that point, too, I'd been working so relentlessly and I was a little maxed out. I was a little um, – and it was confusing because I had, yeah, a lot of 
success very yeah. quickly, but I kind of didn't know how to harness it or focus it. I didn't know what to do with it. Right. I didn't have like a little culture, you right. know, I, I needed time to create that and right. I needed the space to create that you know, safely. Culture, what do you mean? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what movies I wanted to see, never mind what movies I wanted to make. I didn't so know what my no value life. system, I had no life. Yeah, I had no um, aesthetic. Right. Like, I, um, I, I really needed to just take a second to, 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 to figure out who figure you were. Figure that out, yeah. Um, and actually, I deferred a year, after I, I filmed him, and I had a boyfriend at the time who was a musician, and I went yeah. on tour with him. What band? Uh, he's called Ben Lee. He's Australian. He really. toured with a musician boyfriend. Yeah, did that for a long time. Stayed in a lot of like motel sixes and hated. Was that a good relationship? Yeah, we were together for seven years. Seven years with mm-hmm. a musician. Mm-hmm. All right, so you go aestheticless, uh, yeah. <laughs> valueless Songs. to Yale. Yeah. To where, what a rough school too, right? I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, actually, my grandfather had been dean of. Uh, the art and architecture department at Yale. So you had my dad grew, you had an in. I, my dad grew up in New Haven. So, it, but it, I, I always kind of had wanted to go to Yale because I had this. I don't know. Sense Meryl of, Street thing. Didn't she go there? She did, but she went to the acting program. I just went to undergrad. Um, it's kind of nice up there. It's weird. It's like a beautiful uh, old school, but the surrounding area not great, right? Yeah, there's tension between <laughs> the locals and the townies and the uh, ooh, and ooh, the Yaleys. Yeah. And the ooies, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'll, as I, I was, I thought um, that I would be able to make a movie in the summer, every summer, and I kind of failed to realize how much work goes into getting work. And I was, it, school was just way too. Did like, you think you were in demanding? Like, you, you could at Yale. just call your shots. I don't know. It just was not not realistic. All right, so you um, go so to, this I had to choose one or the other. Ultimately, be- well, what's uh, so you go to the beautiful Ivy League school and you decide you're going to study what? I was going to be a psychology uh, major, I thought, so I took a lot of psychology classes, but that involved a lot more lab work than I was had anticipated. Yeah. It's not what I meant. Uh-huh. Um, That's not what you thought? I just want to be able to sit and talk to people and it, help them. Yeah. No, basically, I thought that th- studying therapy would just be, would translate into like receiving therapy. Uh-huh. I don't know, because that had been my experience with therapy uh-huh. um, uh, on the couch, and I didn't I don't know. How, when did you start therapy? Oh, God. We... Like, I'm a New Yorker. Right. Six or something. So you had to do that. Well, what was your problem, Claire? Well, at six, I um, I had a, re- I like had, I saw ghosts and things. It was a little OCD. And I, basically, I went a couple times and then. To the uh, weird uh, child shrink? No, to my parents' therapist, oh. Gideon. Yeah. So you um, went to Gideon. I went to Gideon. I'm and seeing ghosts and I like yeah. to wash my hands. What was it? Yeah, I was I was starting to really like it was getting to disrupt my daily life. Like what, demons the were coming out of the shower heads and Really uh, you were hallucinating. A, no. But I didn't but and there was like a gargoyle on the pipes in our uh, in our, in our loft, yeah. the ceiling of our loft, and it would make me do things like assume contorted positions for half an hour or something. The gargoyle made you do that. Mm-hmm. And what did Gideon say about Gideon this? said, well, are, can you anticipate the appearance of the gargoyle? You know, mm-hmm. basically, are you creating this this creature in your in your head? And I had to admit that, yes, I was. And he said, okay, well, then you have the power to um, let them go. You know? And did you? Yeah. And basically, once I was in therapy at six, I was like, oh, this is 
a prob- I have a problem. And once you realize that you have a problem, it kind of is punctured, right. I find. Well, that was just a gargoyle problem. What was, was the next problem? That was a gargoyle problem. Oh, well, then the next problem was just being a teenager, which uh-huh. is a terrible problem. <laughs> and you, Yeah. I haven't been in therapy for a while. I've okay. Been, um, so you're all better? No, I just have a kid now and don't have any time. Well, I think, and also I'm in per, sort of perpetual motion, which makes it when you're busy. Tough. Yeah. yeah, but okay. So you go for two years, and did you? Was there panic? Like I'm going, my career is going to go away. You know, there must have been some sort of crisis to just drop in out college? of college. Oh no, I was really, really glad to not be working. I was so excited to be at. I really loved it. Did it you find your aesthetic hard. and your values? I did. I did call it jail every so often because uh-huh. it was really intense. Uh huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, finally my kind of desire to act again came, came back. And, and did you, did you start studying again or did you, were, well, it was, uh, or did you already feel set? Like I never understand actors can never explain it. Um, cause I, I tend to think that a lot of acting is a natural ability. So like when you, and you're very good at it. So when you leave Yale and you'd already done the work you'd done, were you, did you feel like you needed to train more or did you? Well, it was, it was an awkward period after school in terms of my acting, because actually I hadn't done it for three years. I was very suddenly very unsure of myself. Um, And I started to um, approach roles like I would an essay or something, Uh you know, uh, from this academic standpoint, and because that had been my habit, so it, like, um, what do you mean? Well, I started to just analyze the character in a right. very heady way. Well, you know, you're kind clearly of, a heady person. Um, but no, no, not only that, but I really, but it just that was a pro- you know, I, I had to remember that it's basically an intuitive, physical, right, visceral. So you're trying exercise. to deconstruct it. Yeah, I mean, you do. It does require some analysis in the beginning and and with some roles in particular you have to research more intensely than others and was that always part of your process um or is it just something well some, i mean it seems obvious like right. you know you i might as well get to know like the with person. romeo and juliet when i was a kid i had to kind of figure out what iambic pentameter was you know so i read a book on that and you know oh did you yeah, there was a time when I was reading everything in iambic. Well, how, how close was that? Did well, he didn't do the the whole play, did he? Your the Romeo and Juliet you were in, but it was it was still in that language. It was still all the same. All yeah, the, all the same language. Yeah, that was a pretty exciting movie. That right? was so fun. I was sixteen. And Leonardo. Yeah. Ah. In Mexico City, all those crazy boys. What was, was he? Uh, when you worked with him, then was it? Was did you feel that he was destined for greatness? He was already a really big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he did Titanic, and then he was like a really. And you were up big for that deal. role. Yeah, I. I don't know. I didn't want to do it. I. I. Good I choice. Just, yeah. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I. I just done this like literally just finished filming this romantic epic with Leo in Mexico where they filmed Titanic and it just seemed a little redundant at that point. Like, but, that, but, but the industry was probably like, perfect. They're already working together. The yeah, kids I guess so. love them. It was years. With, well, well, I'm going to spend the bulk of my life, with my Leonardo teeny tiny Dicom- life with Leo. <laughs> you know, I just, I love him. He's great. But like, I wanted to have some other experiences. What was the first role you took after college? Um... I guess look? it was the hours and maybe Igby goes down. 
the hour. So that's with Merle Street. Yeah, it was a tiny role. But, but you got to be with her. Yeah, I totally got to be with her. Were you nervous? Was, yeah. And so excited. Because she was it, right? She's a bit ooh-ooh-ooh-y too, though. Yeah? She's a little ooh-ooh-y. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's also um, kind of naughty, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. She seems like a troublemaker, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little, a little bit. But know. she's such a wizard, man. Oh, she's she's absurd. She's obscene. So when you, how old are you? So you're what, 20, 19? Uh, yeah, I guess I was 20. And, and you get like before, you, so you get cast in this thing as her daughter, right? Yeah. And you must have been like, what the fuck? Yeah, a little bit. Well, rehearsing with her was very out of body. Um, and at one point she, she uh, struggling with something. She said, you know, you can be bigger. You can be bigger. You can do more. <laughs> no, it was like. Was amazing advice to come from <laughs> yeah, that lady, yeah. um, like Oz, you know. And do you do you have a relationship with Merle Street? Yeah. Uh, well, now she's Mamie's mom, um, which is kind of odd. But she's also, you know, the best actor ever. Yeah. Still, she is right. Yeah. It's pretty. Wild. I think so. Yeah, I do too. And I get, I take it personally. I kind of, I get verklempt when people, like, you know, criticize her for being too. I don't know. To what? Uh, perfect or ornate yeah. or, you know, uh, people will accuse her of being kind of uh, studied or affected. Or, I don't know. But, she, she's but so, no, she's she's just, I think she's incredible. Do you, do you have any idea what, it's, an, it's a natural gift, right? It's a natural gift and she's also just done it. So, I mean, she's, uh, her appetite is still so voracious. I mean, she's always working. What else she, did you learn from her other than you can be bigger? You can be bigger. Oh, choose your battles, you know, yeah. um, be strategic about when you complain. and. and um, but as an actor, when you worked with her in, in terms of, of generosity. Well, you know what or, was really interesting was that I saw the effort in yeah. her practice, you know, like right. it, she's not a, you know, she's not a magical creature who, yeah. you know, is, you know, just a pure vessel. Right. She, she toils, yeah. she, she wrestles with the thing, the uh -huh. idea, the experience, and she, you know, if she's playing a, an upsetting scene she's upset you know right. it's, and it's taxing and, right. and I, that was also good to see that it's it's a messy process and it's scary for even the most uh you know um well-trained and best virtuosic actress. yeah yeah you can't like if you're working from that place you're working from that you're place. working and it's it's hard and it's embarrassing and you can't bother to worry about that like you can't embarrassing well like you have to yeah. kind of make some noise you have to yeah. you have to um re really be vulnerable and that right. can that can betray things that you might not want people to see necessarily Sounds, but kind of too bad moments yeah well so. you certainly do that in spades on homeland it's so fun to have license to do that is it yeah that's great. I mean, but I mean, there has to be some learning curve as to yeah. I mean, you can't comfort. just kind of go. Rah! You have to uh, have an idea of, of. But you have to also allow yourself to do it, even in character. I would imagine that you know, that 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 has to have been from from acting as much as you have to have the comfort to let that part of you out. Yeah, um, and you also have to have a design. You know, you have to have a like. Uh, gosh. What? Well. 
So, okay, so like with Temple Grandin, for example, that was really great. Fun. That was great. I Thank didn't know you. who that person was. She's and, so cool. She's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but and I, and I watched that movie. I'm like, not only was I learning, but I was like, oh my God, Claire Danes is so good. <laughs> Thanks. But, but it's same. That was really great training for me to think about who this manic depressive person would be, or bipolar is the term now. But I actually think manic depressive is sort of more apt. Well, yeah. Well, Temple but, uh, Grandin, the, who who is alive and you spent time with. Yeah. And, and that that emotional profile must have been incredibly challenging but but it but it's you made it very accessible and i imagine you know given what her particular problem was um how hard was it really to get there once you kind of figured it out well actually i i worked with my friend tamar this choreographer that yeah. i had mentioned um uh because she's just so smart about how bodies work so we met with a lot of autistic uh teenage girls specifically and um just tried to um, make sense of of how it affects their physicality, right? And um, and uh, we kind of broke it down. <laughs> and I don't usually do that. I don't I, um, usually recruit help in that way. But right. it, it, for this, it was actually really valuable. But um, you know, so a lot of autistic people have what's called stims. They yeah. self simulate. Sure. So. Actually, my husband, Hugh, had played an autistic character in a movie called Adam about six months prior to this. So yeah. that was very handy. He had yeah. done like... He'd the research. Got, he'd done the research, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, our our shelves were already stacked with the necessary, you know, the required reading. Um, but yeah, so I had to kind of... Everybody has their own particular set right. of... But, stem, they're, but they're steady. They're consistent. They're consistent to them. They yes. choose a, it's how they have feel order, I guess. Yes, yeah. um, or comfort themselves. Right. So it was fun to turn to Hugh and be like, "What were your stims? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, how yeah. did you do your panic attacks?" <laughs> um, but Temple had a very clear set, but and she was amazing to work with because I think um, autistic people are often very guileless and they don't really have shame right and so she uh, and she also is an example a, a wonderful model for so many people in the autistic community so she um she's a scientist so she would divulge anything i wanted to know you know and um, uh, but were you able to sort of draw from her obviously from her physicalities as well yeah she still has them she still has them and yeah. you know she has a very wide stride um, and yeah. and she said because i have no sense of balance and you know but again no yeah, huh. she's very funny. She's she had a great sense of humor. I mean, that that we I spent a day with her, and she said that I guess when she heard that I was doing the movie, of course she researched me online, and she, she did was research sort of on like, you "Oh God, just... how's this blonde girl gonna uh-huh. you know, play me?" And um, she said people said some really mean stuff. Like, I don't think Claire Danes can play a retard. She's <laughs> oh, so offensive to both of us, <laughs> but she howled. That was hysterical. It was. Um, That's amazing. But, yeah. So, but you know, so I had to be really clear about what her stems were, and you know, she always had her sort of chin down because mm-hmm. she was in her own world and didn't feel the desire to engage or empathize with whomever she was talking to, and you know, so her spine was kind of tight and and she did have you know she she did have this wide stride and so collectively you know you have this whole um dance and how yeah oh so you, oh, so you saw it as a series of movements and, yes yeah. yeah and that's where the choreographer helped out yes because that's sort of an interesting approach isn't it i i mean i guess people do have movement coaches yeah but to actually think of it as well know, it was a vital part of of her 
right. character for sure. And then that also, I, 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 that was true for for Carrie too in her manic stages, um, her manic phases. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, of course it affects the body, and that's. I, but I love to dance, so that's so fun for me too. So connecting the body is not a big issue for you. No, I love it. That's so interesting to me. Because like I like I get in my head. You know, I haven't done a lot of acting, but I've, I've done a little. Mm-hmm. But I'm like sort of like, what am I? Am I what are my hands doing? Right. Yes. <laughs> Wait, it's weird though. Like some people, I imagine when you act enough, you're not sitting there going like, should I scratch my face? Yeah. Just... I remember I heard Meryl talk about her role. Was it in an Ironweed? Is that? Oh yeah, that... that was great. Oh god, so good. But um, what is? Is it a clef symbol? Is that? Was that the? The musical, the, the musical symbol. symbol. Yeah, she said she cool. she imagined her character as as that kind of. I just thought that was so beautiful. But that's also that's often all you need. Like it takes it takes a lot of work to find that iconic image that 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 you know is so useful that the whole performance kind of hangs off of. Yeah. But that's a good example yeah. of how an actor might think about. Right. I just talked to another actor. Who was it? Who pictured himself a a fortress, mm-hmm. like a like a building. Yes. Yeah. Like he thought of a building. Mm-hmm. That's that makes crazy. sense. It do- it, yeah. Yes, it does. It's probably easier than, who was it? Uh, Jared Harris. Mm. He's so good. He's so good. So good. But like, he, you know, because he, I, you know, we were talking about animal work and this mm-hmm. and that, but the, the idea that a clef mm-hmm. or a building right. is actually easier than like thinking of an animal or a person because it becomes a metaphor. Right. That, right. that you build on. But I think she probably, you know, riffed on that literally. I bet she p- did kind of slope in that way. Like, yeah. You know, hanging off the bar and stuff. And this, the Homeland role, like, it's all fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've gr- I grew up with some mental illness in my family. Mm-hmm. So you play it manic depressive. Yeah. But, so yeah. mania is the propulsion. Well, she's more manic than depressive because it's a TV show. And it's a lot more interesting right. watching somebody in manic state than it is. As opposed to someone sitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> For many, many weeks in a row. Do you, do you have any mental illness that you were drawing from or in your family or in yourself? No. I mean, I think some depression runs in our family. But yeah. I, no. Because you're pretty wide open in that performance. Like, I'm starting to put it together. You know, with Temple and with the with the character on Homeland and some of your other stuff. Is that you, emotionally, you're, you're pretty open. It seems in character. I try. How'd you put that character together? It's not a real person. That's not a real person. And I don't, I mean, there's a lot of license um, sure. that we're taking here. But um, I had to bone up on uh, CIA culture and, and bipolar uh, disorder. And bipolar disorder. That was a really um, fun month. Um, but yeah, I went to Langley and I have a, I have like a, um, a spy big sister who I, you know, a mentor I continue to call now. Really? Um, mm-hmm. Do you call her with, you know, uh, international policy questions? And- <laughs> no, but actually now I'm like a producer, you know, mm-hmm. I have this fancy label, but it means that I get to be a little bit more involved in the, um, in the, the, the creation of the thing. Yeah. And, uh, so I was invited to go meet with spooks, um, for, for three days with the writers to, uh-huh. and that was really groovy but um so yeah so i met with this woman i read a lot of books on the cia and then um i met with a a woman who's bipolar julie fast that's Uh quite a last name to um for somebody who has that condition yeah and she's written a lot of books on it and ultimately the best resource for um the bipolar stuff was um 
like vlogs on YouTube because there are a lot of bipolar people who are up in the middle of the night and just need to talk. And so they talk to the camera. And so there's There's, a lot of There's a culture of bipolar vlogs for other bipolar people or just for people who want to watch bipolar people talk? Um, I don't know. They have, I mean, I think it's also a very isolating experience. So I imagine they want to share it. um, They want to create a community. They should. Um, And it's, I think it's helpful. So you were picking up on the frequency. Yeah, because I I was talking to my friend, Arielle, you know, I talked to, I have a lot of friends who are therapists, so I talked to them about they're working with their bipolar patients and she said well you know just every case is unique so you, you, that you can extrapolate pretty easily like um there is no norm necessarily but mm-hmm. she said i've only seen them in, in agitated manic states because if they're in a euphoric manic state they're not coming to therapy like they're oh, not yeah. so so yeah because it's one thing to read about the condition but really i just wanted to to see people in in action, and the best way to do that was to watch these agitated manic state. Yeah, because your character does not has it had it euphoric. She has euphoric when she first becomes manic in the first season, the end of the first season. She's feeling pretty good because uh-huh. she's feeling like she has all the answers. And then the great conceit of the show is that, in fact, yeah, she does. I mean, which is not true i mean the the really tragic thing the very difficult thing about people with this condition is that it's there's just so much eroticism i mean they will have these insights that are truly brilliant but they don't they can't hold on to them they can't really develop them they you know the the, because it goes away the momentum goes away yeah and it just becomes very disorganized thinking you know that that clarity gets that's why you need uh you need a, a a rock like Mandy Potemkin to yeah to gr- yeah <laughs> to like magical you. Mandy yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> but do you find that like you can get yourself into a mania? Mm-hmm. Now, when you're doing this role, I mean, have you? Gotten, uh, yeah, I I do kind of get a contact high. Yeah, because you're jacking bit. your your dopamine and absolutely just to do it. Mm-hmm. You have control over that to a degree, mm-hmm. but it does lock in. Yeah, and it's kind of exhausting. Yeah. After yeah. a after a day of shooting that, does it stay with you? I mean, um, I'm actually pretty good now. I, I think because now, well, when I was a kid, I would be in a, I was in an emotional state th- for the entire Panic. day. Yeah, and uh, that was not economical. That was uh, counterproductive ultimately because you you're wasting your energy. Got to um, reel it in. Because you have to keep it on a simmer. Yeah. You know, you can't be having it on full blast all the time. You have to reserve the the, the energy. So you figured that out. Yeah, over time and, you know, just practice. But when you do a season doing, uh, Carrie, do you, or, or anything you do, I mean, have you come out of, out of shoots where you feel overly exposed or ashamed or embarrassed or? No. Because it's not, you know, it's land. It's make believe. Okay. It's not me. It's not a me. She, 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 my imaginary friend did it. Oh yeah. She totally did it. I did not. I'm, I'm uh, protected. Uh huh. So yeah, that's the great. Do you meditate or, or you just run? Uh, you know, what? I run, I run, and so many of people, the people on this show, talk about meditating. It's I think, fuck, I think I gotta go. Med- I gotta meditate now. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I think that's my equivalent. Yeah. Um. So it's an hour a day where I... No matter what? Pretty much no matter what. 
I like yeah. I and because I travel so much, it's it's just a portable form of sure. get on the uh, treadmill in the hotel. Yeah, I tried meditating for a while when I was with my musician boyfriend. We. <laughs> Had a dalliance with TM, and oh, yeah. uh, I was, yeah. Some people dig it. What the a lot? I yeah. mean, and I I know that I, I think I had we had kind of a creepy teacher who was, um, I don't know, just very impressed by fame, and so I don't know. There was just something a little disingenuous about him, and sure. I kind of turned me off of yeah. the thing, which is which is a shame because you know there are people that will attach themselves to the belly of show business. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I also, I think, th- I think probably it would be of value. But oh yeah. gosh, I know. I, I feel I'd rather way. just run around the block a whole sure. lot. Yeah. Then sit still and try to clear your head. Yeah. I'm the same way. I just started Thank running you. again. It's good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, that's kind of my thing. So you win. You, now you've won two Emmys for this character. Yes. Two. two. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that must feel great. It feels really nice. It, it feels really nice because I don't. I just don't care. Like I know right. that it it doesn't matter now. I really okay. know that. Yeah, yeah. But I have that privilege, right, of knowing yeah. that it really doesn't matter. If you really know that, then it's sort of like nice. Okay. Thank yeah. You. I mean, I say that, and then you know, these things are so weird. These award things because they matter. They do, and then they don't. And it's really, it's very hard for me to car- kind of. Uh, categorize them. Yeah. I I equate it with like in junior high. Right. When. Like, some guy would come up to you and say, my friend wants to go out with you. Yeah. And you'd say, but I don't know your friend. And you say, yeah. well, you'll get to know him. So right. then you start going out with Whoever. boy X. Yeah. yeah. And in the way that you go out with boy X in junior high, which is like, don't talk to each other uh-huh. for about a month yeah. um, and then right. break up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just sit <laughs> but, but awkwardly yeah. next yeah, to each so, other. Yeah. yeah. But over this time of non-communication, um, I would develop feelings because you know that was my job. Yeah. I'm a very I'm a good girl that <laughs> yeah. way. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. But then they break up with me, and I'd be like, I didn't even freaking know you. <laughs> How and dare you? Now you're breaking up with me. Yeah. So I, that's kind of what the award thing feels like. You're uh-huh. tapped. You're courted. Yeah. You're you know you got to go find a dress. Right. And then you're all involved yeah and and then and it's totally unrelated to the thing that it's it's apparently about yeah and then you like feel like an asshole and loser you just be like what how did that happen <laughs> um but you won too yeah you win them but i've also not won them and yeah. i've had that experience and then it's like oh okay <laughs> um but i guess uh, i'll return the dress yeah <laughs> Oh, I, I was nominated for an Emmy for my so-called life, and I had actually won the Golden Globe. I didn't know anything about anything at this point. The Golden Globes, like, I yeah. didn't know what they were. That must have been a fun night it for was fun. It was, 13 it was, year old. I was, I guess I was 15 at yeah. that point. And, um, yeah, but so by the time the Emmys came around, I was like, well, I won one. Like, maybe I'll win this one. And, yeah. Oh, I found, when yeah. I was cleaning my house the other day, I found my, like, sad little thank you note in, in my little purse, you know. From, yeah, oh, really? Of my terrible, like, too long, way too earnest, you know. I think all my best friends. Oh, no. <laughs> you found the one that you didn't get to give? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my little! I guess I was fifty. Yeah, fifteen-year-old acceptance speech. Do you feel do you? You're still pretty earnest. Oh my god! Terribly. It's like a family curse. Oh uh, yeah. We are so earnest. Yeah, yeah. And it's I just have to accept it. I can't. I can't. I can't yeah. not. Um, it's 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 yeah. really unfortunate. Is, it, um, is but, that exhausting? Uh, <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> what do you, other than run, what do you do for, <laughs> what do you do for fun? How do you loosen up there, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> embroider. That's it. It's running and embroidering. Uh, kind of. All right. You're okay with that. That's good. Yeah. On, on, uh, 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 this last year I got really involved with the embroidery and my friends are all having babies right now in yeah. that age and yeah. so I'm, and I'm away from them and yeah. so uh, I was embroidering like onesies you know yeah. Yeah. that was my thing I would I would riff on the name so I'd find the, the meaning of the name and then find some image that uh-huh. was reflected the meaning of the name and but it got so in, so extreme that like my they, the crew turned my director's chair into like an embroidery station. <laughs> so they made an arm, a pin cushion, yeah. and uh-huh. I had a special light. And so you're you're kind of obsessive. I'm a little obsessive, yeah. And what? So what's going to happen now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a gotta little myopic. Got to keep things in control. I like, right? I like the control. Yeah. I like the control. But, Feeling that. Yeah. But I'm also a little disorganized, so it's a little confusing. That must be uh, difficult. It's <laughs> my. <laughs> My That's burden. your struggle? That's my struggle. Keeping everything. I have struggles. I know. It's it's tough to be a little OCD and a little control freaky and the world just keeps going, isn't it? It keeps going. <laughs> Why can't things just be the way you want them to the be? The exact same all, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's real. I think that's my, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, and, you know, I have great trouble with transition and change and eroticism and I am in a reality and in a job that forces that upon me constantly. So... I'm working it out. Well, but. what? So what? Did, which one of your what, was? Uh, who was your dad nuts? Um, <laughs> my dad had a difficult childhood. Yes, very it, difficult. Yeah. Um, but he's not nuts. But I mean, like somehow growing up, it seems to me that if there, there's got to be in order to be kind of the earnest control OCD person, there must have been a little like, oh God, well, or was it just New York? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a. My parents were not terribly typical conservative people by any. I mean, it was a little. It was a little chaotic our living environment, but fine too. The artsy thing. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, we had a trapeze and a trampoline and the dark room and yeah. you know, yeah. um, weird it, friends coming over. Weird friends. Uh-huh. Um, and then my mom had the school, so then it was an, a literal playground. Huh. Um, so it was a, it was a very imaginative, right? You know. Um, not creatively that, fertile environment. So not not a lot of boundaries. Not a lot of boundaries. Yeah. Not a lot of boundaries. That'll do it. But that's okay. Sure. I mean, I love my parents, and yeah. uh, they gave. I mean, proofs in the pudding. I'm sane and happy and connected, and you know, your brother is too, and my brother is too. So like, we're they did great. They did all right. They did yeah. fine. But um, I also think it's a, it was a generational like shift. Where yeah. now, God, the style of parenting is so. Much it's so uh, so fastidious, you know. Yeah, I, like, I, what do you mean? Well, I don't have a kid. Oh, um, how's the style change? Like you got a hyper vigilant. Yeah, hyper vigilant. I mean, negotiating all like what deliberating what what's going to ruin the kid, what isn't going to ruin the kid. Yeah, I mean, corn syrup is like the sure. devil, I and mean, and that's fair enough. Like sure. that, you no, know, there's that, there's truth in that, absolutely. Yeah. And but but their the kids are so their lives are so micromanaged, and and I was of an era. I mean, yeah, go ahead and go out into Washington Square by yourself. You're yeah. Tw- you're ten. Totally. Yeah, oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. And um, no, I, yeah, I was on. I was taking the subway alone at eleven. Right. Never 10. now. 
Never. Never. Never, never. I not mean, even, not it'd even. be like jailed, my yeah. parents. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was looser, for sure. I guess for good reason. I mean, but you know, if you think about New York at that time, it was it was probably more dangerous. Much more dangerous, yeah. I don't know where that trust came from. I think that, you, you know, I, I know some parents and they're paralyzed with fear all the time. Yeah. Which is. At every turn. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and it's scary. And every time I put Marson down, you know, that's, that's the worst expression. I put him to bed. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Every time I murder him. Yeah. No, no, no. I know but, that's right. He's still young. So you've got the whole ride ahead of you. Yeah, the whole ride. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But no, there's this baseline of anxiety because it's just too much. Like you're responsible for this tiny being. Um, God, what are you going to do when he starts to get a personality? Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's getting one now. Uh-huh. He's like, and he's, he's entering terrible two territory. How's that going for you? Um, it's okay. How, uh, are you happy you have a boy? Yeah, I'm happy I have him. <laughs> yeah. I think he's great. I'm, he's, I'm so lucky cause he's been super easy, which is a very, very fortunate thing. Cause I was pregnant with him while I was filming the second season. And then, you know, when I started the last season, he was five months old and so he's been on this ride with me so and you're going into he, season four going into season four yeah he's mm-hmm. been he's been there the whole time mm-hmm. now, literally what, i yeah. mean uh, inside and out inside and out <laughs> yeah and what is this um charity that you're involved with oh um afghan hands yeah oh yeah that's a nice thing um yeah my uh i have a good friend who also happens to be my makeup artist yeah. uh, surprisingly mateen malawizada who's from afghanistan and he's been working with these women who are mostly widows, mm-hmm. um, but sort of disenfranchised women in Afghanistan who, when their husbands die, have no agency and no authority mm-hmm. and are kind of beholden to their in-laws and are, yeah, in a very, very bad way. So they have these not, these embroidery skills and we kind of help them develop those skills and in exchange for their work, they make these scarves and pillows and stuff that huh. we sell. Um we give them a bit of money and an education. They learn, they're mostly illiterate and they learn to read and write and just, um, it's kind of teach a man a fish kind yeah. of theory. Right. And, uh, and they can create, you know, um, opportunities to exist in you know, more comfortably in the world. So. Do you spend time over there? I haven't been able, I would love to go, but it's just been too dangerous. So, right. um, but I would really like to go. Um, yeah. And it's, and my, my mom, who had, was a textile designer, actually designed a line of scarves that they then made. So that's going to be available on the website, afghanhands.org. Oh. And it's a really nice a nice idea, you know? Yeah. It's like a conversation between us and, Cultures. These, and these other women. And yeah. we'd love to go and actually see them and embroider together. Yeah. There you go. Maybe you can you know, bring everyone a director's chair. That's- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you really need. That's the dream. Yes. A director's chair. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure you know what a lot of people need, right? Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Well, good luck with the child rearing. Thank you. And the, the new season. Thank you. And keeping everything under control. It's all going to be fine. Yeah, I feel it's that. It's going to be great. I feel that, Claire. I, I, I really do. <laughs> All right, that's our show, folks. Uh, Thank you for listening. Isn't she lovely? Very earnest. Great conversation. I was very flattered that she wanted to come on the show. I was excited to see her. And uh, it it really was actually uh, very exciting for me (laughs) uh, to talk to Claire Danes. 
I do want to remind you again that you can go to our website and you can use the shop on Amazon banner that's on the homepage of, of WTFpod.com. There's also a banner on Adam Carolla's site. And just go shopping and, and let's move some of that money to keep this legal defense fund going so we can fight personal audio because they do not have a patent on podcasting. Anyways, yeah, so this week we have three episodes. On Wednesday, we're going to have the guys who wrote The Humor Code. And on Friday, Pat Healy from the uh, movie Cheap Thrills, which is a, a very disturbingly great movie. And me and Pat have some history. So that was a great conversation. It's weird. There's uh, moments where, where I, you know, I forget my life. I forget the history. Some guy who used to live here when I was in New York, Don Kelly, a good friend of mine, his brother just sent me a book. His brother apparently hung out here at the house and took pictures of all the cats around. And he had a book made for me, and it just came in the mail. And uh, you know, it's got pictures of Boomer and uh, Moxie and some of the strays that are no longer around. It was, it was kind of emotional. Boomer was a great cat. Boomer lives! <laughs>